0: Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with How Stuff Works and iHeartRadio, and I love all things tech. And it is time once again for a classic episode of Tech Stuff, where we bring you episodes from the deep, dark archive of the more than 11 years worth of shows. And this particular episode originally aired on August 12th, 2012, and it is called Printing Medication. It's all about using printer technology to dispense medication, very similarly to how you would print a sheet of paper with an inkjet printer. I think it's a pretty fascinating subject. So let's listen in what uh, to what Jonathan from the past and, and his co-host Chris Paulette had to say on the subject, shall we? Let's talk a bit about what we're actually going to discuss today, though. Yes. So today we wanted to talk about uh, inkjet printers, uh, some other kinds of printers, but not printers in the way that you would traditionally use a printer. You know, you think about you would traditionally use a printer to print text or graphics on a piece of paper.
1: Yeah, yeah. We um, we thought it would be kind of fun to talk about uh, some technologies that could be used in other ways that people have. Uh, Sort of repurposed if you will, and this is uh, this is one we thought would be fun to talk about because um, an inkjet printer is something we think of as a very everyday thing uh, yeah you know you 've got uh, a couple different kinds of printers you 've got an impact printer and a non impact printer basically right. the difference is the impact printers are like the old daisy wheels where um, the the printer actually Hits the paper; it actually touches the paper in some way. And in this case, uh, that I was just mentioning, it's a, uh, uh, a daisy-shaped. Um, uh, what would you call it? Print head, I guess. Yeah, that uh, yeah. where the type, you know, the actual letter goes through the ribbon. You know, hits the ribbon and makes an impression on the paper. Right. Um, and then there were a series of non-impact printers, which is you know far more common today. The laser printers, uh, the inkjet printers. Um, different types of technologies there. But, uh, you know, they don't actually touch the the paper itself, except the parts that feed the paper, um, you know, through the printer. Right,
0: right. So we wanted to talk today about how these sort of printers have been uh, used in, in very novel ways in the medical field. Yeah. Uh, and not just the inkjet printers, but that's what we're going to start off on. Because uh, last year, this being 2012, back in February 28th, 2011, uh, HP announced the first application of its inkjet technology in a non-traditional printing role, right. which was all about printing chemicals with the, with the specific purpose of helping pharmaceutical companies develop new drugs. Mm-hmm. And so, you suddenly had these inkjet printers that were being uh, uh, tweaked so that instead of it being a a printer printer, it's now a Medicine dispenser in a way, but to really get into the nitty gritty of this, we should probably talk about how a basic inkjet printer works.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it's uh, it's the the basic basics of it are pretty simple. I mean, you've got uh, something that feeds the paper through the machine and something that sprays ink onto the page. Now, right. you know, of course, if it just feeds the paper through and sprays the ink, you can have a ink covered piece of paper with nothing on it, so you kind of have to have some way of uh, making the you know the the stuff that you want to print uh, show up the way you want it printed the the letters on the page of a letter or um, uh, if you want to print a photo, you want right. the colors to appear in the in the right order and you
0: want everything <laughs> to be nice and sharp and, yeah. uh, and 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 have a good definition, otherwise you just kind of have this messy look, so you have to be able to make these drops. Really, really, really small these drops of ink. Yeah. Because otherwise, mm-hmm. you would, you know, you would, you would not be able to make those definitions between things like hard angles versus a, a soft curve, and uh, you know, all the fonts would look the same. It just you wouldn't be able to create something that looks crisp and clear. So the way inkjet printers do this is they use hundreds of tiny, tiny, tiny nozzles yes. that spray out drops of ink that are I- I- incredibly small
1: yeah now i can tell you uh, the first the first inkjet printer i ever owned was in the mid-80s uh 1985 specifically um and uh you know there there are things that go into an inkjet printer's quality that that have improved significantly over this time the ability to uh uh to Spray that mix the different colors to make other colors. Um, you know the basic uh, four-color printing process: cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Mm-hmm. CMYK, the K being black. Um, you know those those have gotten the the ability to to mix those has gotten so much more sophisticated. Um, there are other things that factor into it too that just that I want to mention: uh, paper. Uh, too, has been, has factored into this too. The brightness of, of the white paper, if you're using white, or, uh, the absorption of the ink. Um, the technology for all of these things has improved significantly over the short time that we've done this. Um, but the, the basic technology is still there. You've got a, a print head. Right. Um, that is the, the part of the, the printer that's actually doing the printing.
0: Yes, that's um, where all the nozzles are located. They're located on that print head,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, the ink cartridges that go inside the printer. Right, that's supplying the ink, obviously. Yeah, the ink itself has gotten more sophisticated over over time, and in some cases, uh, depending on the the manufacturer and the technology behind it, uh, the the print head may actually be part of the cartridge itself. Right. Um, you may have an inkjet printer at home, and if you do, uh, you may have seen that the, it's got a little something that looks like a little circuit board on there. Well, and that may very well be the actual print head. Mm-hmm. Um, but you need a way to get it uh, to scan across the paper, and that's what you have in your uh, stepper motor. Basically, right. it's a, a, a part of the printer that drives across the paper, and the uh, the instructions that come from the computer to the printer tell the motor where to stop on the page so that the print head can spray ink onto the paper. So we're talking about
0: something that's really, really precise because it has to be able to make incredibly tiny adjustments in order for these nozzles to spray the ink exactly where it needs to go. Because, you know, you're talking about a really tiny scale, like on microns or even smaller. Mm-hmm. So th- these are really, really tiny adjustments. And in fact, there's also a stabilizer bar yes. that helps keep that, that print head on the very even track it needs to be in order to do its work. Mm-hmm. And um, it's th- that's the basic part of the printer part of, a, uh, of an inkjet printer. I mean, there's a, another entire section that involves pulling the paper through and feeding it through properly, which... For the purposes of our discussion, really don't factor in because the medical variation of this doesn't use paper. It's not pulling paper through in order to print out information. So I'm just going to drop it from there because there's just no point as far as the rest of this goes. However, I will say we have an article on our site about how inkjet printers work. So if you're just curious about the technology and, and want to learn more about it we've even got some animations and some illustrations there that really go into how these nozzles spray out these tiny uh, drops of of ink there's there's two basic versions that we talk about in the article uh, the thermal bubble version where you have a a um, uh, uh, you have a, a you use resistors that generate heat yeah. to expand a piece within the nozzle that pushes the ink out and then as the resistor drops in temperature uh, the material contracts which pulls more ink into the nozzle and it does this very very rapidly and that's what forces the ink out of the nozzle in these tiny 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 drops mm-hmm. uh, then there's of course the the other version is the piezoelectric uh Inkjet printer that we talk about in that pod, uh, not not the podcast, but in that article, article. Mm-hmm. and uh, the piezoelectric. If you don't know what piezoelectric means, that essentially means that if you have, it's certain materials that if you run a current of electricity through them, it changes the shape of the material, yeah. and vice versa. If you were to change the shape of the material, you would generate an electric current. Um, so the quartz crystal in a in a watch is an example of a piezoelectric material, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you're talking about running a little current through, and the the piezoelectric material changes shape, and that's what pushes the ink through the nozzle and pulls more ink from the reservoir from the cartridge into the nozzle area. Uh, but there's more discussion about that in the article. I just figured that we should probably move into kind of transition into the way that that HP leveraged this technology for the medical field
1: yep yep uh, one thing that, that we didn't quite touch on uh, unless I was sleeping through that sorry. which is possible uh, yeah um, was uh, that um, the in, in the inkjet process now you were talking about the, the piezoelectric crystals mm-hmm. um, and the piezo in uh, the um, sorry in the inkjet process um, you know each each of those nozzles has the ability to squirt droplets of, of ink. And one of the cool things about that is as a droplet leaves, it creates a tiny amount of suction, which pulls more ink to the print head. Right. Um, so, you know, this technology is what enabled HP to do this is, you know, the ability to uh, have the, the droplets pull one another. And that helps feed ink through or whatever it is that you're using in the, the printer uh, to be able to pull more of the material out. Um, of course, we talked about HP, uh, you know... Some time ago in the podcast, uh, and we talked about how one of the first things they were involved with was uh, medical technology mm-hmm. a long time before the uh, the desktop computer came out. they were involved with this, so uh, it's certainly very natural that HP would be interested in uh, combining its its medical technologies and its computer technologies and right. I, I think they really came up with a novel idea
0: yeah, and in this case, you might be wondering, okay, so why would you want to to print chemicals to create uh, to create pharmaceutical drugs. Mm-hmm. And the answer to that is all about how pharmaceutical drugs are developed in the lab. Yeah. Uh, it's a very methodical scientific process, and it has to be. Otherwise, disaster can strike. So when you're developing a drug, there are a lot of different things you have to consider. For one thing, you have to consider the efficacy of the drug itself. Right. right? Does it do what you need it to do? Does right. it actually... Uh, uh, you know what is the medicinal effect real? Right. So there's that. That's an important part. One, probably the most important part. But then you also have to th- figure out the balance of the ingredients that make up that drug, because uh, at certain levels it might be toxic. Mm-hmm. So you have to do whole toxicology reports on whatever your drugs are. Like what what dosage is the right amount for the average human being? Right. And, and the whole process can take, depending on how many chemicals are going into this drug to create the molecules that make up the foundation of this drug, uh, you might have very different effects. Just by saying, well, if we put more of ingredient A in than ingredient B, here's the <laughs> medicological effect, the pharmacological effect. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we put more B in than A. The pharmacological effect may be entirely different, and determining the
1: right balance is a challenge. Right, and it's a, it's a uh, painstaking process that, that can take a lot of time. Um, of course, if you're going by the scientific method, and uh, for those of us who've studied that in school, you know it's it's pretty basic to us. But it wasn't, you know, many centuries ago. Um, you know, you have to you have to make one subtle adjustment. To the process at, at every increment so that you know that that one thing is the only thing that you have changed. Right, it's a so control. You, yeah, exactly. You have to mark it down and say, okay, well, I've, I've tried A with B. A with B doesn't work. Uh, so I, now I will try A with C. You know, and you have to make those subtle changes. And, and, and it can take a lot of time to go through those things. Right. Um, but HP's process of, uh, of going through this process has speed things, speeded things up Significantly, I would think, because um, one of the things they uh, they do in chemistry of all kinds, not just for a pharmacy, is is titration. Yes, um, and that's basically making these subtle dilutions to see, um, you know, okay, so we've checked to see if a hundred percent solution of this chemical will work. Um, now let's try the ninety nine percent solution. Now let's try the ninety eight percent solution. And oh, gee whiz, that's going to take forever. Right? You
0: want to you want to keep. Really what you're looking for is you're trying to find the the lowest amount of the active ingredient that will still bring about the effects you want in order to minimize any potential side effects you might have from a
1: medication. What? You, you don't think gastrointestinal distress uh, is a positive side effect? I rarely do. Uh, uh, I'll, it I'll... can be a comedic one. I'll I'll be right back as a matter of fact. Um.
0: <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, this is this is a very painstaking process like Chris was saying. You have to be able to determine, all right, well, this is the specific level that we need to hit. This is this is how much of this drug versus this drug we need to hit in order to make this medication work. And uh in general in the lab this can take a very long time. If you're doing this by hand, it takes forever. It takes now, a long time. I, I had to do this in chemistry. I had to do oh, titrations yeah. in yeah. chemistry, and uh, you know, you remember you're counting each drop and you're measuring mm-hmm. very carefully. And and when you're talking about measuring drops with titration, that's not terribly precise. No, you're talking about drops
1: that are that are pretty large. I mean, especially compared to what these printers can do. So yeah. well, in high school chemistry, what they were trying to teach us is the basics right they want to teach you uh, you know how, how the scientific method works, how uh, chemistry works, if you right. will and uh, you know' they're not we weren't trying to come up with a new, uh, a new remedy for a, a disease right so
0: the HP printers that can do this they're, they're digital dispensers actually yes. mm-hmm. is what they're called but it's using that inkjet technology. Uh, what you're what you can do with these things is you can uh you get this little it's almost like a uh, it's like a cartridge in a way, but what you can do is you can put uh, a certain whatever chemicals you're working in you you put a tiny little drop into one little reservoir for this inkjet printer essentially yeah and then you can put a second one in another compartment and then you can program it the the printer to mix those in different proportions with one another, so that you suddenly come up with all these different, very precise mixtures of your various chemical compounds, so that you can determine which one is the best for whatever drug you are developing at the time. Mm -hmm. And it does it very, very quickly. So within half a minute, it can give you a full scale of titrations across a fairly broad spectrum. And it's doing it at a very Precise, uh, method. When it was first announced back in, in, uh, 2011, uh, they were talking about a precision of around 20 picoliters. Now, pico is smaller than nano. Mm-hmm. Okay. So a nanoliter would be one billionth of a liter. A picoliter is one trillionth of a liter. So when it was announced, it was at a, a precision of 20 picoliters. Mm -hmm. Now it is, according to HP's website on the subject, they've gotten it down to about 13 picoliters. Mm -hmm. So it's even more precise now. And it can uh, do a titration of between 13 picoliters up to 10 microliters. And a microliter is one millionth of a liter.
1: Just think. If we were trying to advance, uh, burrito technology, how much more precise we could get if we were going with more Gaio than just a Pico de Gaio.
0: Oh, was, that was a long funny. way for that, yeah, that joke. Really I was, was just waiting and waiting.
1: and that like, oh. Anyway, so yeah, the, um. That hurt. <laughs> the, one of the, uh, this doesn't really look. Uh, I, I would advise you, if you're really interested in this, to, to take a look at this. They do have videos of this process going on. It doesn't look like what we think of as a desktop inkjet printer. Um, it's, it's, yeah, these trays that it uses are, are actually, um, disposable too. Yes, uh, very
0: important because you don't want any residue.
1: No, no. Um, and it, it's kind of cool because it, it's a, a very small tray, and they, they drop the tray into the printer, and then they can add the, the chemicals that they're using for the study, whichever study they're working on, um, as they go. So uh, uh, it's it's really kind of cool because they're not using the same print head that they would if they were, say, printing out, uh, their dissertations or right, their studies right. on paper, and and um, the, but it's kind of cool to watch because it's you know you can see it spray onto the paper using these trays,
0: right? And it can also print into little like um, grids of containers. Yes. So in other words, you're you're printing out the right. the compound that you've created into little containers, so that then you can test each container and see what what effects that particular uh, mixture will have. And whether or not you know one is better than another, and and which one you should really focus on, this really streamlines uh, the development of of uh, pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're talking pharmaceuticals. Of course, is a multi-billion-dollar industry. Oh yes. And in theory, by streamlining the process, you could bring the costs of developing drugs down. That again, in theory. <laughs> Could eventually pass on uh, down the line so that those individual drugs are not as expensive as earlier drugs that took longer to develop. Right. Now, of course, that's all based upon the cost of production. It's not necessarily based upon the actual corporate behavior of a pharmaceutical company, which I cannot really uh, talk about because it doesn't have anything to do with technology. Well, that has to do with economy
1: as a yeah, as as a corporate body that uh, has responsibilities to shareholders, its point is to maximize profits while doing its business. Right. But theoretically, this this should also help them, too, because they could probably deliver medicines more uh, effectively and cheaply and still increase its bottom line in the process. Right. Um, also would speed up development of new medications. Um, but there are also other benefits. People have talked about the possibility that, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about subdermal, uh, we haven't on this podcast, but, you know, people in general have been discussing, um, how, uh, the medical, medical patches work, um, the drug delivery patches that you put on your skin for different kinds of medications, um, there, there have been discussions that HP could use this technology to uh, spray the medicine on a patch, mm-hmm. and it could be something customized for, say, if uh, uh, Jonathan needs uh, a specific uh, formulation of a medication that would be different from uh, the dosage that I would get. They would spray it onto, uh, hit, you know, the patches for him and give him those, and they could use the same dispenser to spray the ones that they would give to me for a different formulation yeah, of the medication. It'd be
0: a different concentration of the various ingredients. Yeah, right. you're talking about personalized medicine at that point. Yeah. Because when you think about it, our our basic medications that we go out and we take, you know, whether they're tablets or capsules or whatever, right. they are based upon an average physiology for uh, you know, just a the, the average patient, for example. Right. And that we don't necessarily fit that average. We may, no. our physiologies are different, metabolisms are different. The, the, um,
1: the other medications we're taking uh, might have interactions with this medication. And good so, point. Yeah. Uh, you know, one person might not need as much as the other or it might interfere so they cannot give that person as much.
0: Right. So, you know, and, and when you go to the doctor and you get a, 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 Prescription, you might have to get a different concentration of that drug than someone else would have, or it might be something even more uh, primitive, where it's just take half a tablet in the morning and a half tablet at night, as opposed to a full tablet. Whereas, you know, Chris might have to take a full tablet uh, each time. That's, you know, these these are not very precise. Whereas in this case, you're talking about tailoring medication to specific individuals, so that you're getting the the be- the most benefit from that medication with the fewest side effects. That's the real goal here. Yeah, and uh, and it's not the only way that this could potentially come about. There's another kind of technology. Uh, again, it's an inkjet technology, but it's um, it's a different methodology that is being explored by a company called GlaxoSmithKline,
1: mm-hmm. very large uh, pharmaceutical company. Yes.
0: And what they're looking at is the possibility of printing medication. Directly onto tablets, mm-hmm. so the tablets themselves are really the—they're the paper in the in the printer analogy, right? That's yeah. the, the tablets themselves have no medicinal quality to them; they are just what the medicine is printed on top of.
1: Yeah. So basically, if you took the tablets without any medicine sprayed onto them, they would offend effectively be a placebo.
0: Yes, it'd be almost, you know, essentially the same thing as a sugar Mm, pill. Placebo. mm, Placebo. Placebos are great. Man, I remember when I had a headache and I took three placebos. I almost OD'd on placebos. (laughs) Hey, it's Jonathan from 2019, butting in here. Just wanted to let you know, we're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back with more printing medication. A placebo is something that has no active ingredients in it. It's yeah. often used and if you if you're not unfamiliar with the term, it's often used in uh in in uh, scientific tests right in order to determine whether or not a a quote-unquote real drug is effective. So right. you you would take a uh a selection of people who all are, are needing medication for some particular ailment. Right. And it could be anything. It could be a physical ailment, could be emotional, mental, whatever. Right. So you, you've got this group of people and you divide them up into different groups. Your placebo group is your control group. These are people who are taking something that has no active ingredients in it and they, you know, they should not know that. It should be a blind test. In fact, if it's a really good test, it's double blind, meaning that the people who are administering the test also do not know if the drug that they are administering is, in fact, the real drug or the placebo version, because that way they can't give any information to the test group and influence their response. Right. So you give the placebo to one control group, you give the drug to the test group, mm-hmm. and then you do, and then you compare the results. Now, this is a really complicated issue no matter what kind of test you're doing when you're talking about human beings because uh you know, we're all different,
1: those pesky humans.
0: Yeah. So even if the drug is completely effective because we're humans, uh the results may not immediately tell you how effective that drug is. And that's so it's a it's a long process with lots and lots of testing before a drug can be said to be effective. Mm-hmm. And if you measure it against the performance of the placebo group, let's say that the control group all says, Oh, I felt so much better after taking that medication. It was amazing. And the test group says the same thing. Well, now you don't know. Because right. the placebo it was just as effective as the drug, which may mean that the drug has no Medicinal effect. It may mean that the medicinal effect is negligible, or it may just mean that people's are silly. Yes. But anyway, that's the whole testing pr- procedure. So, with uh, this this other printing medication on tablets process, you would get to a point where you could again very precisely control exactly what kind and how much and how concentrated the medicine is when you print it on the tablet. Right. So, in theory, you could again personalize medical treatment, although if you're talking about a mass production model, you're really not talking about personalization. You're just talking about pr- a different way of producing medicine. Uh, there's some problems that they're facing yeah. with this, uh, one of those being that currently, at least as of the recording of this podcast and the most recent research material I could get hold of... Right. Uh, this is only effective for half a percent of all medications that come in tablet form. Mm -hmm. So that means that only a tiny, tiny, tiny fraction of all the different tablet medicines would benefit from this approach. Right. Uh, They're hoping to improve processes and get that number up to 40%. So still fewer than half.
1: Right. Well, at at, at one time, uh, you know, my grandfather was a pharmacist, so uh, you know, but... uh, He was a a pharmacist in the early 20th century, Mm -hmm. Um, and back then they, they mixed things at the pharmacy. Now, today you can still find pharmacists who will do this. Uh, they're, they typically refer to themselves as compounding pharmacists. So if you see a sign for a compounding pharmacy, basically what they're saying is, uh, you know, we mix special medications. Um, I've actually had to have, uh, something mixed up special for me. Um, and it's, it's very weird to do this because, you know, they, they get in there with the mortar and pestle and grind stuff up and mix stuff together. Yeah. I, but if you go to your, you know, the, the pharmacy in your grocery store or your, uh, um, you know, the, the. Uh department store, generally, what they do is they order stuff, yeah, and that can be inconvenient now you know they they say, well, i can't get that for you today uh it's probably going to be next Tuesday before I can get anything shipped in f- uh, for us now this this kind of technology uh if it's on a patch or you can print it onto a tablet, might mean that they could get. Uh, you know, the chemicals in, and they can say, well, I can, I can mix up that concentration for you later this afternoon. And you might get your medication a lot more quickly. They might be able to get more of the raw materials in. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, if it's only effective for a certain amount of the, um, uh, the population, then that may not be as effective, but it might help. Now, on the other hand, that also might mean that they have a lot of raw stuff laying around that could be mixed to make other stuff and as we know pharmacies are targets for people who like to break in to steal stuff to make things that may or may not be legal right like illicit drugs yes essentially is what we're talking about um, um, but see there there again there are benefits that this this technology could bring and also detriments well it's like any kind of technology really but um the benefits are are enticing yeah, you know, it, not not only are you, you talking about
0: not only are you talking about personalized medication uh, and also a streamlined manufacturing process, you're also talking about the potential of this medication taking effect much more quickly than it would sure. in a traditional format. So if you're talking about a tablet where the medication is essentially baked into the tablet, mm-hmm. you know, the digestive system takes a while to break that tablet down and the medication gets into your, your blood system, your circulatory system, and, and is absorbed in however whatever the, the the um, the mechanical process is for that particular medication because mm-hmm. they are different. Yeah. Um, if you're printing it on the outside of the tablet, then that's going to get absorbed much faster than it would if it were part of the tablet. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's one potential benefit is that the the pharmacological effects would uh, would kick in earlier than they would
1: with other types of tablets. Well. Um, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, and that, that's sort of if you you are thinking of uh, the inkjet printer, in this case, printing on a row of tablets as though they were the paper in a desktop in, inkjet printer. Yeah. But there's another way you could think about that. If you were thinking about something like 3D printing, then the medicine could be all mixed together and printed out in the form of a tablet.
0: Yeah. In fact, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, the one other thing I wanted to say about this tablet approach is that Potentially, you could even get to a point where you could print multiple drugs on a single tablet, yeah. which would mean that another benefit for the patient is that if they are on something like three or four medications, instead of having to take three or four tablets, they might only have to take one that has all of the different medications printed on it. Yeah. Uh, and now, again, we- because we're talking about 40 percent of all tablets right now, even at at their the, – the goal being 40 percent – that's you know the the odds that every medication a person might need a someone who has a lot of different prescriptions uh, the odds that they would be able to get all of those into one pill are not great but it's a potential future for this technology.
1: Sure. Yeah, they could print your your antihistamine and your allergy medication and your multivitamin all together in one tablet. That's prescribed to you by your doctor and just give you all of it in one one go.
0: One go, yeah. Now, you wanted to talk a little bit about
1: printing out skin. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, I had forgotten about that. I, I completely blew the segue there. Yeah, this is something that – it was funny because I was looking uh, – Jonathan and I both heard about uh, the potential for, for uh, using these printers last year and uh so i was looking for that and in the process i found an article uh from actually quite a few years ago from 2004 um in idg news uh from susanna patton and what they were talking about was the possibility of using printers to print out uh skin artificial skin for grafting purposes mm-hmm. um this would be really cool because um not all skin grafts take now they try to to get it from the from the patient uh who has been uh generally this is for burn victims.
0: Yeah, I actually knew a kid uh when I was growing up who suffered second and third degree burns along his legs and had to have uh, an extensive skin graft and nice. it was yeah, they had to take it from further up his leg in order to tr- to transplant it down on his leg and it was a uh uh a very long and painful process
1: for him. Yeah, I, I just, I, I can't imagine. Yeah. Um, but the problem, the problem is not all of that um, works as successfully as they would like it to mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, they have to cover the area or they're going to try to cover the area and there may not be suitable skin on the patient available to do the graft. Uh, it can be, you know, they're taking it from one place and, and moving it to another. So they're, you know, they're creating... More injury, if you will, in the process of... Graphs don't always take. And sometimes they shrink. And also there's a huge risk of infection. Yes. Yes, there are. Um, They actually uh, were were doing this at the University of South Carolina. And uh, they're using gel, a form of gel instead of paper. Um, So uh, they are actually repurposing... Now, this isn't using a a new technology. This was actually repurposing older printers uh, with larger holes. Uh, for nozzles. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, this was, you know, in the experimental process, but what they were doing was using this gel and, and, uh, you know, printing the, the material that could be used for grafts. And the, uh, the benefit here, um, was that it could be, you know, more suitable for, uh, printing to that specific area. Mm-hmm. And it was less likely to, uh, shrink, Um, because they were using this, this artificial material. So it was really a better quality of material than the person's actual skin. Now, I didn't find a lot of information about, uh, whether or not this has been used currently, but this was done in 2004. And it's a, a very interesting thought. Um, they were also talking about the possibility of printing complete organs, which is also a three, this would also be a 3D process. Right. Um, that's pretty amazing to think about. Um, and it's, it's the kind of thing that uh, obviously hasn't been used a lot as of right now. But you know, going forward, now that 3D printing is becoming very much a reality in the rapid prototyping, well, we discussed this in a previous podcast too, mm. um, you know, this, is, this is very much uh, a fairly common thing now. You can buy your own 3D printer. Now, they're not cheap. Right, and they're um, not going to print out a human heart for you, but... No, uh, but... But the idea is that you could use gels. I also found, uh, just as a quick mention, um, scientists who are working on printing on gels for electrical connectivity, mm-hmm. uh, not not for, for medicine, but for uh, the purposes of electronics. Mm-hmm. So as the, the work into printing on gels continues and the work of printing for medicine continues, you can expect that... Uh, You know, these things are very much a possibility and, you know, may move very quickly in the years to come.
0: Chris and I have a little bit more to say about printing medication right after this break. It's a very exciting thing to me because I I love the idea of being able to print organs where you no longer have to worry upon uh, worry about getting the right donor. Or if it's an organ that can be uh, replaced with a mechanical version, then of course you have to worry about uh, other elements like uh, your body rejecting it or whatever. When when you're talking about printing your own organs, you can think about a time in the future where we might be able to say this organ was printed specifically from this person's – based on this person's DNA and their physiology so that – the likelihood of the body accepting the new organ is much higher than it would be if it were a traditional transplant. Yeah, and so the survivability goes up. You don't have to worry about uh, organ donors as much. Uh, you you reduce the need for people to sit on a waiting list for a transplant for uh, indeterminate amounts of time. And you know that's a very that's an incredibly emotionally taxing situation to be in. Yes, it is. You know, where you don't know if you're going to ever get the organ you need. You know, it's a race against time and Mm -hmm. there are people ahead of you. It's, that's a tough situation. Yeah. So the The benefits of this technology are enormous. It's really hard. I mean, I could not exaggerate how important it would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. But getting back into also three D printing and and closer to stuff that's happening on happening right now, uh, you you alluded to it in the um the in my
1: early way too early segue the
0: attempted segue. Um. Uh, yeah. Using three D printing to create drugs like uh like a like a capsule or a tablet. Yeah. Um, there's a, a professor, uh, actually the, the chair of chemistry at Glasgow University named Lee Cronin. Yes. Who uh, was he, – he had a TED Talk about this. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. He's actually – he's known for some pretty uh, innovative ideas in various spaces. He's also a fellow who has uh, really kind of uh, – he's got, he's got a lot of goals, <laughs> this guy. <laughs> One of them is to eventually create a, uh, create a life form. Like that was another one of his projects. It's not just creating um, the this three D printing drug thing. He he also did a TED talk about using a, a, a process to actually create a new form, a synthetic form of life. Right. So he's got a lot of uh, a lot of uh, synthetic fingers and synthetic pies out there. But <laughs> he was talking about using three D printers right. to, cre- <laughs> to create to uh, create drugs, and one of the ways he would. The way they're talking about doing this is building uh, first using a polymer called that they're calling Reactionware, which would create essentially the reaction chamber for a chemical process, mm-hmm. right? Because drugs are are in general they are the uh, the result of some sort of chemical reaction between various ingredients interacting together, right? Well, you can control somewhat. The, uh, really you can completely control the concentration and effect of those drugs by not just the amount of the active ingredients that you introduce or the, or the various ingredients that you introduce. They don't necessarily have to be active. Uh, not just controlling how much of each of those individual ingredients come in, but the size and shape of the reaction chamber. Mm-hmm. Because that can control... The speed of the chemical process, which can, a- a- again, affect what the outcome of that process will ultimately be. Mm-hmm. A fast process might result in a different type of drug than a slow process, even if you're using the same ingredients. Yeah. So he came up with this idea, or he and his team came up with this idea – of using this polymer to to print out very, very precise reaction chambers Mm -hmm. and then using the same printer, laying down layers of the various compounds that you would use for a drug. And the heavier compounds would be on top, the lighter compounds on bottom, and essentially the heavier compounds would start to sink down into the lighter compounds and a very controlled chemical reaction would take place. Ultimately, he hopes to be able to lace this reaction where polymer with various catalysts. And a catalyst, of course, is something that, that facilitates a chemical reaction, mm-hmm. right? So, in other words, you would have an entire pharmacological lab reduced down to a tiny, tiny form factor because you're using a 3D printer.
1: That would be very cool.
0: It would be really cool. And then his ultimate goal mm-hmm. would be that people patients would be able to purchase a printer and take it home and connect it to their computer and then they would buy essentially buy a drug recipe from whatever pharmacy or you know whatever whatever the 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 vendor would be but they would buy the drug recipe online mm-hmm. which would then download to their computer they would send you know they would have to have the the basic ingredients whatever those basic ingredients are for that drug But they would then send a print job essentially to their printer and it would then print that medication out for them. Mm -hmm. So he actually compares his project to iTunes (laughs) and the iPod. Mm He says, you know, it's, it's all, it's an app. It's not the content. It's just the way of generating whatever it is you know it's it's your way to access content that's provided by other people mm-hmm. it's like a smartphone app in the sense that this is just the program that lets you do the stuff the actual content's going to come from whatever the vendor is yeah. so if you need to uh, buy painkiller yeah you could purchase the painkiller recipe send it to your printer and print it out now, this is not that different from the other 3 d printer conversation we 've had in the previous podcast. No. Where we uh-uh. talked about you know people designing stuff like let 's say that someone designs a, a particularly nice table. The table just looks really cool mm, nice table. and then yeah and then you can download you know purchase and download the schematic for that table, send it to a 3D printer, and have it print out the various pieces you need to assemble that table, yeah. This is the same idea, except you're taking it to medicine as opposed to furniture or a toy or even a prototype, whatever else you know you would use a 3-D printer to create. Mm-hmm. So it's – but it's, it's the same basic approach. He's just like, why can't we apply this approach to medicine? Yeah. If, if it works in this case, could it not work in this? So that's what he and his team are working on now. They They're still – You know, in the very early days of testing, as far as this is concerned, but it's a very promising and interesting approach. Now, people have already raised some concerns about the ultimate goal, about being able to buy a printer. You know, these printers cost a couple thousand dollars, but when you, when you, when you compare that to the price of buying medication over time, that is, Not a big deal. Right. Assuming that the raw materials are not as expensive as the medication would be, Mm -hmm. then you would be saving money in the long run. Yeah. Assuming you live long enough for that to benefit you, right? Right. So – If we live in a world where you can go out and buy a 3D printer that can print medication. In
1: a world where you could buy a 3D printer. Right.
0: uh, One of the concerns is, well, let's say that this is not a pervasive technology. Let's Mm -hmm. say that it only goes out to a small percentage of the people in the world who can get hold of this. Either because it's got a barrier economically Mm -hmm. or perhaps it's a legal thing. You know, maybe it's legal in some areas but not in others. Right. At any rate. Let's assume that only, uh, we'll say 1%. 1% of the world's population has access to this technology mm-hmm. for the purposes of this discussion. That 1% ends up going out and buying this printer, taking it home, and now they've got a drug printing machine. Okay. What stops that 1% from becoming drug dealers?
1: All right. You just blew my mind.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's the problem that people are saying. They're saying, well, if this is not a technology that everyone has access to, you have essentially made a whole bunch of people their own drug companies where right. they can, they, they will go out, they'll buy the recipe for whatever drug it is that they want to print, print out a whole bunch of them, and then essentially sell that drug in a black market. A new black market would be generated because you would bypass the pharmaceutical companies and the pharmacies and the doctors, and you would just have regular individuals, you know, kind of prescribing medication out to whoever wants it. So there are some concerns about that. Now, uh, Cronin, for his part, pretty much dismisses that. Yeah, he says, you know, this is you're worrying about something that's not even an issue yet, and when we get there, it won't be an issue. Um, but that's still, you know, it, it, critics have still been a little concerned with what could potentially happen.
1: Right. Well, in 3D printing, there have already been people uh, upset that you can print a thing because, you know, they made things that weren't uh, that weren't, you know, a book or a, a a piece of music or a film. And they said, oh, well, you know, we don't have to worry about people copying our stuff. Well, yeah, it's and now yeah. there are, I have read reports of people who make. Things, three D things, and they're going. Wait, they're making our things, right? So then, well, now we have to deal with this copyright so, thing because you, you could just make our stuff at home.
0: Yeah, you know, we saw the we saw the music world deal with this first, yeah. and then film and television. Yeah, and then books. Yeah, so books and publishing. Yeah, so we've seen major industries already have to deal with this. It just means that everything is going to have to deal with this. Yeah, you know but, that's that's the crazy thing is that and. What will be funny is that I'm sure we're going to see the same sort of uh, ham-fisted mistakes I'm being sure. made by each industry. Like, it's just like, seriously, people, did you not learn anything from the previous incarnations of this problem?
1: Well, these are industries that haven't necessarily typically had to deal with well, this. Well, none so of them had to at no, first. <laughs> they're, they're people who thought they were out of trouble. Yeah, the people who thought they were immune to it. Th- th- that is another podcast. However, I did want to mention, too, uh, really quickly, because we're... Kind of going long, but um, there are also 3D printers being used in other types of medicine too. Yes. Um, I have seen uh, 3D printing being used to create custom uh, uh, dental. Materials, mm-hmm. um, you know, for people who who need uh, implants or, or you know, those kinds of things. Um, and I, I know that they're using uh, 3D printing to create other types of implants. Uh, you know, obviously the, the harder physical material, bone. Right. Um, things you know, like replacing knee joints or hip joints. Right. Jaw right. bones. That's just amazing
0: yeah the idea of just printing out a new whatever it is which is great because again you can pr- print it at such precision yeah that you can meet the needs of the patient much more readily than you could if you're talking about, you know, a one-size-fits-all approach, because we're not well, all one size, as it turns out.
1: Yeah. Well, it, it's fascinating to think that you might be able to do x-rays and CAT scans and then things that did uh, imaging that you would uh, not have been able to use just a generation ago yeah. to get such precise, precise measurements, put th- that information into a computer and print out what you need rather than having to, you know, make a cast or, you know, whatever right. to, to create a new one or go, huh, you know what, you look... look... Look like you might have a medium-sized hip. Let's throw that in there.
0: All right, and that wraps up another classic episode of Tech Stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, not future classic episodes, that would be weird, you can let me know. Send me an email. The address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. Or drop me a line on social media. You can find all the links to that on our website. That's techstuffpodcast.com. You'll also find an archive of all of our past episodes, not just the ones from 2012. And a link to our online store where every purchase you make goes to help the show, and we greatly appreciate it. And I'll talk to you again really soon.